You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. 40 years ago, this is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Ruvain Yoshua Popko of Beth Israel Beth Aaron, Coat St. Luke, that suburb of beautiful, rustic, amazing Montreal, Canada. Rabbi Pupko, uh, something's interesting this year in terms of the placement of the holidays. It is going to be in Ibriyor, but which means before we add that extra month, we have very early holidays, like we had early uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Sukkot. And what's coming up very soon is an early Hanukkah, much, much earlier than it usually is. You know, both of us grew up uh, in, a, in a period where it was Merry Christmas, boys and girls, and Happy Hanukkah to all our Jewish friends, or Happy Hanukkah, or sometimes Happy Chanukah <laughs> to our to our Jewish friends. And 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 we were used to seeing Hanukkah as well. You've got your big holiday. Well, we've got Hanukkah, Christmas, Hanukkah. I know before Kwanzaa and everything else, and Happy Holidays became normal. Uh, and and therefore, and it was you could see how. Nebuch, the Jewish kids needed Hanukkah because you know they were being ignored by all the uh, the Christmas fanfare. Well, now this year uh, we have Hanukkah way before Christmas. In fact, by the time the last Zos Hanukkah candle burns out, I don't even know if the Christmas sales are going to be in full force. Uh, and maybe well, that's after Black Friday, so it probably will be. But but you're right; it's closer to Thanksgiving than Christmas. Yeah, it's it's it's. Don't you think it's, it's sort of a good? It's it's a good thing, right? Well, again, it's hard to get your head around Hanukkah in November. I I find it a little disconcerting, but I, I think one way or another we will muddle through. And listen, the great irony of Hanukkah has always been that on the one hand, those who understand it and uh, embrace it see it as a, uh, a as a holiday of rejection of the dominant culture where it's the, the Jew it doesn't assimilate, where the Jew rejects the norms uh, around him or her, where, where we assert, you know, Jewish specificity, and, you know, in thought, uh, you know, philosophy and, and behavior. And, and of course, the irony of it is that Hanukkah morphed in the minds of many into the Jewish version of Christmas, into almost, a, I wouldn't call it a tool, but, but it, you know, the very essence of Hanukkah became almost, you know, uh, Christianized through its proximity and, and uh, to, 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 by the way, it's not a coincidence, as you know, I mean, it's not a coincidence they fall at the same time. They're all, they all emanate from the same pagan holiday, Saturnalia and, and uh, you know, the Jewish, I mean, you, you know, the, the book, the Selma of the Hecha was put up in, in, uh, in celebration, I believe it was set, what's called Saturnalia, the the, the solstice festival, right, 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 the winter solstice, and the Book of Maccabees makes it clear that me the Kenegan me the tit for tat, we got the heichal back on the anniversary. Of, oh, okay, uh, right, right. So, so okay, Hanukkah, stands, yeah. Hanukkah stands as a rejection of the pagan solstice festival. The Christian Christmas comes about when the Christians try to proselytize amongst pagans. The pagans say, "Yeah, fine, but we're not giving up our holidays." And the Christians say, all right, don't give it up. Just, you know, put a veneer of Christianity over it. Right. So they both emanate from the original pagan festival, Jews as a rejection, Christmas as a repackaging. 
no, very, very well, very well put. We all know, look, from our Catholic friends and real Christians who really understand their religion, that Easter, of course, is is much more the primary day of religion and rededication than Christmas. Right, um, right but, and, but again, it, it, I'm just saying it's not a coincidence that they come out of the calendar. So. Yes, yes. Okay. Well, Point the other side, it, by the way, I think, we, I think we should also just emphasize, you know, you I'm sure you understand that the holiday of the Stolces isn't so much, hey, look, this is such a, a, a the longest night. It's really about the day after where you see that the light can actually come back, that it isn't, it isn't this devolving into darkness. Right. But the fact no, no, it's a, but there was, a, again, if you look at the Gemara Vodazar about how the pagan seller could claim benefited from its calendar proximity to Christmas in that Jewish families had a way to say, we don't do this, we do that, right? And we don't do Christmas, we have Hanukkah. <laughs> and we're going to have presents, we're going to like this, and we're going to, you know, it's going to be, you know, and we have Hanukkah decorations, you know, and we have all this stuff. And uh, we have a dreidel and we have latkes, they have eggnog and whatever. And, uh, you know, so it was a way to divert Jewish kids' attention from the dominant joy of the time. The great and 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 Hanukkah kind of got lumped in with the message of season of lights, right? Of season of brotherhood, whatever they called it. So, in a sense, Hanukkah became assimilated. In other words, the holiday that stands as the clarion called not to assimilate itself became assimilated. Right, but, if you were negative, on the other hand, you could say very positively, "Who the heck would have heard of Hanukkah? We're not proximate on the calendar to Christmas, and and it benefits from it. This way, Hanukkah is known." But there's two other there's two other factors. One factor is that Christmas itself became very commercial and secular, and the in order for Christmas's net to be drawn broadly, as you said, universal brotherhood, peace, as opposed to Christ our Savior is born, right? That you know it became the idea of peace and brotherhood, goodwill towards men. Now, you know, you did see a little bit of a shift when Hanukkah. Uh, the the story of the victory uh, against the Maccabi the Maccabeum against the Misyavnim uh, and, and and the uh, Seleucid Greeks, you got even in the secular and, and Gentile culture the idea of liberty, the idea of religious liberty and religious freedom, and and that was a message I started hearing you know on, on various media programs and things that that is the message of Hanukkah, and that was something that I think the the Christian culture and the secular Jewish culture was also very happy uh, to embrace that in, in this way, making somewhat of a distinction between Christmas and Hanukkah and actually arguing that Hanukkah is actually even a more uh, inclusive holiday because it's, it's all about religious freedom. And, right. uh, and, and I think I that know, listen, was- you know, you can make the, the argument that, certain principles, at least, or kernels of ideas that uh, tend to characterize modern liberalism uh, from the time of enlightenment do have roots in Judaism. There, you know, there are those who overstate the claim and there are those who ignore it. But, you know, probably the truth is somewhere in the middle. But, um, you know, there's no question that even, even when we were kids, even back then, there were those who held up Hanukkah as the paradigm of the struggle for religious freedom and minority rights and all that other stuff. You know, where where, where uh, a, a hearty group of young Jewish rebels stood up against this dominant power to assert, you know, Jewish 
uh, specific rights and, and, and liberties. So, yeah, you know, it, it, that, that's, that's, you know, and there's a, again, a kernel of truth to that. There is. And I think also one of the things that, you know, we couldn't help when we were growing up uh, being influenced by was the love Hanukkah was getting in Eretz Yisrael for sort of the same reason. Because right. As Eretz Yisrael was asserting, you know, this is the Israeli mentality, Hanukkah was perfect. You know, forget about the fact that they found some oil. Let's stress the fact that we fought, we won. This was the Haganah, this was the Irgun, this was all of that put together. This was the prototype of that type of struggle. Absolutely. You know, and every year around Hanukkah, there's some new archaeological find that is publicized validating the, the Jewish narrative. Again, they just yesterday I read that they found a Seleucid camp and, the, you know, the, the Maccabees had overrun. Which indicate, so it, it fit in perfect to the what they were trying to sell, right. which is we also engaged in this guerrilla warfare and we got... Rid and when of you say trying to sell, you make it sound somehow fraudulent. There is, in fact, a truth to that story. Yes, that Jewish resistance... And the fighting spirit is something we're sometimes worth emulating. Yeah, right. All I'm saying is that was the part of Hanukkah that was emphasized. You know, in Europe, as you know, you're a big Europe lover. I mean, you've, you've been crying over Europe the last couple of times. <laughs> uh, you want to go back to Zhezhev again? I think you mentioned Zhezhev <laughs> twice in the last two weeks. So maybe we'll, maybe you want to be entombed in Zhezhev. I don't know. But, 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 the, but the point is, is that in Europe... Hanukkah was all about limerat It was all about we're going to be machazik yeah. the, the kids were 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 given Hanukkah gelt as spurring to learn more. So there was definitely again a, a because they didn't. But you, know you have that tension from the very beginning. You have the uh, you, you have the Alanism, which doesn't mention you know uh, the, 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 you know yeah yeah you have the gemara which yeah it goes back and forth no i, I understand so the question is what a, a different in, in other words the tension between the military part and the torah part is a tension you see in the liturgy is a tension you see in the gemara right there are both elements and there are those who say well you know once the hopes for uh you know for uh for, for uh renewal of sovereignty dissipated we emphasize the the spiritual over the military that was the conservative take and that's what they bring from that's what i meant before just to let our listeners who aren't as scholarly and since it doesn't mention anything about the nest of the pachashemen this was something that was developed as we lost control over Eretz Yisrael the question is like this here's the other question you know of all the miracles we celebrate the least consequential miracle we celebrate is the miracle of Menorah. I mean, you know, had the Menorah been dark another week, who would have cared? I mean, so what's the miracle of the Menorah anyway? So, um, I mean, the way I always interpreted it was that because this battle took place post the era of Nevoah, and they fought on their own, and it was a civil war as much as it was a war against uh, the enemy. There were many Jews who were, as you said before, you know, Midyavnim who were assimilating and saying Judaism is not worth fighting and dying for. The the minority of Jews who asserted it was, thankfully, were were victorious. And to me, the menorah was always about God's way of signaling to Klai Yisrael that the battle was worthwhile. That I want your mitzvahs so much, right? 
that I will make a miracle so that you can do the mitzvah having a lit menorah in the base of Mikdash. Right? It was a miracle to accomplish the fulfillment of a mitzvah. That's all it was. And that is the vindication of the battle in that they fought just for the right to study Torah and do mitzvahs. Right? That was the battle. The battle wasn't, you know, it was a spiritual battle. Let me put it this way. It was a battle fought for a spiritual agenda. And, and, and the miracle is, is a vindication of the sacrifices that they had made, that in fact, the Kodesh Baruch Hu is so desires the, the mitzvahs of a Jew, the Torah learning of a Jew, that he makes a miracle so it could happen. No, no, no that's very, very well said and a, a, a beautiful idea of intertwining them. I guess what I was, what I'm trying to get at here is that in, its, in all of its manifestations, and let's put a parenthesis here as well, Chazal, by not stressing a specific narrative, although there was these hagiographic books, really understood that every generation was going to sort of fashion its own Hanukkah perception. Uh, in other words, they left it so amorphous. And let me say one other point. They didn't even think of making an Isser Malocha, as was implied even by Purim. Um, in terms, and, and they didn't heavy duty it in terms of a mitzvah, so they allowed eight days of basically do what you want. I mean, fill this thing out. So uh, unlike a Pesach or a Yom Kippur or, or a Rosh Hashanah, where we are by forced to be in shul, forced to not uh, to limit what sort of malachas we can do or activity we can do, Hanukkah was wide open. And therefore, I think it, it, it allowed itself to sort of take on different meanings. And, and it's almost like, let me say it this way. Anything you say is right. In other words, any pshat you want to say, is it about Torah? Listen, what, what, one of the dramatic changes from Europe is that we always, you know, assume for centuries that Iker Pesuminisa, the main publicizing of the miracle, is not for the street, but for so right for the members of your own household, which is, we took it out of the windowsill. We really did in Europe, and we put it on the table. Right? It wasn't, Pesuminisa wasn't for God, it was for Jews. Yeah. I, there, and, and I, mean, I, I don't know if you've heard of there was a little bit, again, it isn't in the postgame itself, you can see the tension here. You know, the the Ramah and, and many of the Ashkenazi postgame are very centered on the family, what's happening here. You find in the mid, the, the end of the 18th, the beginning of the 19th century, the postgame start once again, not putting it outside, but pushing it into the window. And the Mishnah Burin right. itself is right. But you're right, it, it, there is. And I would the idea of putting a menorah in a town square would not have occurred to anyone oh. as being a as being an imperative in Jewish life or even advisable in Jewish life. <laughs> and I you know I don't know if you know this. There's a group, uh, I believe in, in in Brooklyn. I, I think Crown Heights. Where's Crown Heights? Crown, <laughs> is, is Crown Heights Brooklyn? Yes, I believe it is. Yes. Sir. So there's there's a group there. They have different names, Chabad or Lubavitch. I'm not sure. I'm a little confused. Yes. There was a rabbi they had. He's now he's dead for like 30 right. years. I, I think weren't they, aren't they the ones that do the big telethon in in, in Hollywood? Was that Jerry Lewis? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there was one eight hundred cars for kids. I again, again, I'm getting old. I get big stuff. Yeah, I'm easily confused. But the, so they started. There's a small group in in Brooklyn. They started putting up menorahs and you know, next to Christmas trees and town squares and places. That is a highly, here's the question. Would that ever have caught on if Hanukkah wasn't next door to Christmas? That's a good point. That's a good point. The, you know, uh, and, 
And again, well, it well, was- you gotta admit though, listen, Red Square is sort of a, it's putting it in Red Square. I don't think there was ever any Christmas tree in Red Square, but there might've been in Moscow before the czar, you know, but when, when the czar was still active there. <laughs> but, but the idea of a, the idea of putting Hanukkah maneuvers in, in non-Jewish places all over the place, that's not certainly not a, not a traditionally Jewish idea. I, I, I agree with you. The Chabad's ability to... Is that who it was? It was Chabad that did it? Chabad. <laughs> this, is, this joke can only last so long. I know, you know, you're... In I the- will not give it up. <laughs> I, I, I think our, our listeners have stopped laughing, but here, here's what I would say. Your idea on Hadloka Bevet HaKneset. Now, Hadloka right. Bevet HaKneset, in Shul, the lighting is a lot different. It's in a little bit of a different time, in a little bit of a different space. And there's even a discussion whether you should make the brachas or not, and why you make the brachas or not. Right. It's not mentioned, let me just say, it's not mentioned in the Talmud and in the traditional sources of, of, of the, the ideas of Hanukkah. It developed organically. Oh, let's have it in the shul as well. And, right. the, and the, the post can codify, okay, you should light it, you should make a bracha, with a, even with a shechianu, etc. And this really gives spur to the idea, well, why, why are we doing this? So one idea of the shul is, well... It's, this is the closest thing we have to the menorah and the heichal and the Beis HaMikdosh. Every shul, and this is sort of a way for people not to forget about the tahara of the Beis HaMikdosh that occurred. And it was also triggered by Rav Hadras Melech, I think, also. Right, oh, so, that's, oh, so that's the second thing. So the second way of looking at it is, well, we want people to know about it. Shul is the place where everybody is. Right. I mean, I don't know if you've ever had this experience. Have you ever been to a wedding on Hanukkah where they light the menorah? Yes, that's weird. It's quite weird. Yeah, I mean, no, but the point is, there's something interesting about that, that it's kind of taken for granted that if you're going to have a gathering on Hanukkah in the evening, it will include lighting of the menorah, no matter what, a bar mitzvah, a chayim, a chasen, and whatever. The difference there is because, and again, I'm speaking as a halachist here, and I've got my halachic glasses on. Over there, the point is, there's eating going on. So that night, that becomes your home. But here's the point. If the shul was not a place people ate, but as you said, it was a place where everybody showed up. From there, the Rebbe and others developed the idea. Hmm. I'm sorry, I don't know which who you're referring to. Which Rebbe was it? <laughs> so, Rav Menachem Mendel Schneerson, Olav Shalom. Uh, oh, not of the Tepsk. What? Not, not, not Menachem Mendel of the Tepsk. Well, they were, there was a connection between Vitebsk and, and, and Chabad, <laughs> as you know. But here's the point. Oh, so there's Persuman. Oh, so let's, let's take this even further. Now, let, now, the way you could argue is, first of all, it's about the menorah in, in Shul, in the, in, in the Mishkan, in the Mikdash. It's not about just a lot of people are seeing it. Okay, so, so one thing is we, re, we say, no, it's really about people seeing it. And then we say it's not just about Jews seeing it in Shul, it's about the whole world seeing it. And then we get to this idea, which is not in Halacha at either, that presuming, because the post can speak about a guy who's stuck in, 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 in Paducah, Kentucky, or, 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 or somewhere Des Moines, Des Moines maybe have as good, wherever it is, think of any place where there's no Alaska, where there isn't any Jews. And then the question is, he has his wife lighting for him. Should he be lighting or not? There's never a discussion. Of course he should light. He should light for the people in Nome to know that there's something called Hanukkah. It's never mentioned at all. In fact, what they say is maybe he should light in order to give himself the idea uh, that, that Hanukkah is important. But the idea that we want the whole world to know and that we want the non-Jews to see our light, 
is really somewhat specious, and that's really what Chabad takes that idea. Oh, it doesn't exist anywhere. The idea, so we, we never, you know, you know, it's not something we ever cared about. I mean, listen, it is a okay, but, but you know, we see that you don't like it. But is it totally bad? Is it totally bad? I, you know, I don't see much damage. I, I think in May. In truth, this is probably a good thing. I, 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 look, you know, you know what? I, I look. I, I have a problem because so many Chabad uh, thinkers and writers are of really the highest level of scholarship and understanding, but they have allowed themselves a certain blind spot to anything the Rebbe was pushing. So right. even though it might be somewhat illogical, a brilliant, wonderful Chabad thinker who could parse a piece of Shulchan Aruch and tell you a, a beautiful interpretation in a, in a Talmud or a Medrash is still going to stick a menorah on his car and drive around in all the neighborhoods with the music belting out of the window and push for whatever city square it is. Look, you know, my, I can tell you that, um, you know, my sister, when we're talking about New York City, we're talking about Teaneck, you can understand. But even in places where they barely know what a Jew is, if there's a Chabad person within 25 or 30 miles of that place, there will be a, a menorah. Yeah, <laughs> listen, I, I see no reason <clears throat> for pursuing Nisa amongst non-Jews. But again, the validation of a Jew who may be semi-assimilated or, or certainly far from, from traditional Jewish life, it's a nice thing. They see it. It gives them some pride. I, I don't have a... So, I mean, I, I make jokes, but I don't think you see a serious problem with it. But it, again, it needs to be acknowledged that it's without precedent or basis. Yeah, okay. It, and I, look, I've, I've given you that acknowledgement. You didn't need you know, it. It's, 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 it's just not something. I'm not saying, it's, you know, it certainly it plays maybe a positive role. Listen, as a strict believer in separation of church and state, it, you know, uh, I, I think it does trouble me when Jews today in America don't appreciate how much we flourished and benefited from that separation. And therefore our attempts to blur, whether by placing religious symbols in, in the on, on city or state or, or, you know, or government property is a violation of that. You know, it's clear that, you know, there's a lot of Supreme Court jurisprudence on of course, you know, well, where the Christmas tree can and can't go. Look, Sam, Sam Alito, what? Sam Alito, really, uh, Justice Alito, this was the case that gave him right. national prominence was where I think he ruled with Chabad. I think he ruled on, that Chabad had a right to put the menorah there. I think I was, I think it was in Pennsylvania someplace. So I think that the, if I remember correctly, and I may be wrong on this, but I believe Chabad asserted that a, that a menorah is not a religious symbol. That right, it's an which is, they did. And they, I, I think their point was that... And, and, that's, and that's false. That's just a lie. Right, right. If the Christmas tree can be put up there, then the menorah should no, be... No, but again, there. the Supreme Court was clear. Christmas tree is not a religious symbol. And I think that's with some strong basis. But a manger is, and the manger couldn't be put up. Right. I believe that a menorah is more like a manger than a tree. I, I, I'm with you 100%. And this was a, this was a way to not just cash in, but to fulfill what they saw as the Rebbe's vision, even though it, it, it is built on a very specious and very unsteady legal ground. But you know what? You know, you've been slipping and sliding, and I appreciate it because I've been slipping and sliding with you. Slip sliding oh. away. Who yeah. said that? No um, sliding. Yeah. Well, look, you know, I, I, maybe it's like, is it better this year that we... That oh, that. Has disconnected Christmas and Hanukkah. Is, does that mean there's a charge 
that maybe Hanukkah can be different and perhaps stronger because we don't even have to be Goyer's Christmas in a way. Okay, I would say two things about that. Number one, I, I fear and suspect that more Jews celebrate Hanukkah when it's closer to Christmas because it's vacation time or whatever, or it's, everyone else is doing something, so they do something. I'm not sure if I'm right about that. But the second point I would make is there are benefits in having the distance in that it's a, Hanukkah has, we have an opportunity this year to talk about Hanukkah within its own context rather than a fictional broader context. So we have it, you know, the specificity of Hanukkah is more easily assertable in November than in late December. So yes, I, I think there are advantages. I think it's a good thing. I think there's a, there is some something positive about it. I don't know if it's can be in the overall scheme of things called better, but there are certainly many positive elements to having Hanukkah distanced both by date and by uh, you know associate, you know holiday umbrella association to have a distance from that. Yes. Yeah, and I, I would agree with that, yes. So the thing that the distance helps is that uh, as the Christmas time uh, becomes closer for our Christian friends, and as they have their get-togethers, and of course it isn't just December 25th, it's before and after, when Hanukkah comes late, uh, it becomes a little more difficult for Jews who want to celebrate Hanukkah and be there and light Hanukkah lights uh, properly to fill in for the, the Christians who aren't able or it's difficult for them to do their job. I think we, it, there's a, a glorious history of Jews who have manned uh, the emergency uh, units. They've been the frontline workers, as they're called today, uh, to help the Christians celebrate their holiday because since it isn't ours. And I think that that has been uh, noted, but perhaps not highlighted enough, uh, whether it's manning uh, suicide hotlines, whether it's being out there in the police and the firemen or in the hospitals, the Jewish doctors who make sure that they're specifically on call. Even my own daughter uh, is, is, was given a lot of kudos for being at her uh, animal hospital, where she works as a veterinary assistant, as a veterinary nurse, and sp- spending, uh, allowing uh, some of her coworkers to be able to spend that night uh, with their friends. And, and with, the, with their family. So I think that's something that's also important and maybe beneficial of separating. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, especially in urban centers. I mean, I don't know how many Jewish firemen are able to replace Christian firemen, but certainly in, the, in, in, in hospitals, it is, uh, uh, it is certainly very, very common for, uh, you know, for that mutual uh, indulgence of each other's holidays and, 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 the, and the swapping of Yom Kippur for Christmas or whatever, where that ha- that happens a lot. Of t- and again, I think it raises another issue, which is unfortunately forgotten in 2021, which is for 50 years or so after World War II, maybe 40 years after World War II, the bedrock assumption of American life in general was that, you know, there are three religions. There's, you know, the Catholic Church, the Protestant Church, and Judaism. It was considered... And I think it still is in many ways considered American to be Jewish. And and that's a rare, unique, in the history of Jewish exile, it was considered American to be Jewish. It's the only, it is not Canadian to be Jewish. It is not British to be Jewish. And it's not French. As much tolerance and as much, you know, uh, acceptance as we have experienced other places, America is the only place where we became fully interwoven into the 
uh, into society. It was taken for granted that every third year, the clergyman at the opening day baseball game would be a rabbi. It was taken for granted there'd be a rabbi, you know, at, 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 at communal events, Memorial Day, whatever it was. Jews were considered part of the pantheon of, of American life, 100%. In ways where we were, in ways that we never achieved in any other place, and there's a, certainly a huge upside to that. It's the only only exile where you can really say it was American to be Jewish, right? And that is past, though. I think with immigration, yes. I think no, because religion doesn't matter anymore. And, and again, we there's Buddhists, Hindus, and Muslims, and you know it, it doesn't right. work. The, 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 the immigration into the United States, and I'm not anti that immigration, has changed. Uh, that makeup. We were right. always a, a tiny minority, but we were query number three, right? right. At, at this point, it became- well, no. we don't know where we are. And also, religion in general is less important. So it's, the whole construct is gone. But from, I mean, we grew up in a time where Jews were celebrated as, again, full, you know, full participants in American life. There was no one ever questioned our loyalties, at least openly. And, uh, and there was wide and broad, you know, acceptance, not just acceptance. It was, you know, we were part of the American story. But it came, I think, uh, with a certain amount of ignorance about what we were really about. The period that we grew up in, ask any Gentile, how would you, like, how do we want to uh, give a present to our Jewish friends? Give them a Hanukkah present, wish them a happy Hanukkah. That's the most Jewish thing that could be. I right. think I'm in, in many ways happy that that period is gone. Because now I think, again, an ignorant person doesn't know anything about Judaism. But I think the average person knows about Judaism. He knows more about Passover. He knows more about Yom Kippur. And I think they realize where we're coming from. Uh, I think they realize there's a more authentic sense of what, what religions. I, I, I think there's a huge, huge spectrum of knowledge. Because the New York State trooper who stood in the Meadowlands watching Dafyomi has an understanding of, of Jewish life that, you know, that even a, uh, you know, a Hollywood agent in California worked with Jews every day wouldn't have. So it, it really depends on where you're coming from. You know, it's, uh, it, it depends where you grow up and wh- what look, kind of Jews you oh, have. Look, I want to tell you something, and without uh, mouthing his words, but when the Cohen brothers, who are really, as you know, a, 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 a national treasure in so many ways, when they had um, John Goodman uh, play in a uh, you know the Big Lebowski in the Big Lebowski when they had him play a, a Gerd Sedek who refused to be Michal Shabbos. I don't roll on Shabbos. That's right. That's right. That to me was a good, great turning point. That we have we have a Shabbos and Shabbos itself is as primary. That you can connect Joe Lee. Uh, listen, I, I, you know, I, we all point to different moments in American culture where we say, "Oh my God!" You could point to three episodes of at least of Kirby or enthusiasm, we say, how does he, I have a friend of mine who was a professor in a very non-Jewish place and they were all Kirby enthusiasm friends and he would quiz them on what parts of the show they understood. Remember the episode about Yichud, like what they think is going on and on the ski lift. And I mean, this week's episode was completely over the top. I don't know if you saw it, but I always point and this, I know is, is many ways the weakest example, but to me, when Leon Whistletear in the new Republic, Use the expression Kim Le Bidabine without translating it in a column in the, in the New Republic. That to me was like the most wild 
Well, I don't know. But I'm not sure who's reading the New Republic. I, I, exactly. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the, the, the three of us who read it. But um, but uh, again, it's it's there's a remarkable knowledge and intimacy, uh, you know, in, in many urban centers between Jews and, and non-Jews, and, and knowledge, you know, of, of, what, of what we're doing. And the Jewish vernacular is completely integrated. Uh, you know, it's uh, so much so that we now suffer from that in a way that we are not viewed as a at-risk minority. We are not in the under the umbrella of the protected groups. No one no one complains that Charlton Heston played Moses, has not considered cultural appropriation. We don't deserve, in other words, to be protected from cultural appropriation because we are so interwoven into American culture. Right? No one complained Bobby De Niro played Madoff. Right. We don't complain, you know, uh, you know, so that we're kind of in a different, even though we are the number one target of hate crimes that are directed against the religious group for the still the number one target. On the other hand, our cultural centrality, you know, mitigates us being viewed against, uh, again, mitigates against us being viewed as uh, as a group deserving or, or needing protection. Yeah. But again, I, I think when you need to when we need to push ourselves out there and say you know how could james wood uh, play noodles in uh, in once i think once upon a time in america once upon a time in america. in america again how can we have these people playing jews it, it, we, we we really belittle we never people. complained yeah we we, we really uh, bobby benson was in the chosen nobody cared <laughs> the payas those payas look like they were and what's it marvelous mrs mazel does nobody cares she's not jewish i mean Ooh. some people started caring Rachel Brahanson, the one who plays, yeah, yeah. She's not Jewish. but you know what? She grew up in Jersey. She could, she could go. To, she she went to so many bat mitzvahs when she was growing up. You're doing Lenny Bruce now. If you're New Yorker, you're Jewish. If you're this, that's all Lenny Bruce. She, she, she's she has very very much a, a Jewish mentality. Yeah, yeah. Jewish society. I would say to me a watershed moment when we talk about media in this way um, is that uh, you know obviously the the Ten Commandments was obviously built about the the story of Passover. But the you know the the great film Crimes and Misdemeanors, uh, Woody Allen's film, uh, where the, the, one of the main scenes, really the, the the great scene, was the Pesach Seder, where right. they're all sitting around and you have you know people of various stripes of of of, of observance, and there you see how important that is much more a central moment than sitting around the Hanukkah menorah, right? That right. really is where Jewish memory is formed. It's not formed by, oh, I remember playing a dreidel and the latkes that I ate. Most Orthodox Jews and most Jews that we know aren't going to say their prime moments of, of Jewish uplift were during Hanukkah. Woody Allen was right. Pesach, uh, the whale Seder, has a lot more to do with who we are and who we are in the family dynamic as well. So I think that, you know, it, it, it's been moving for a while. I think the Thanksgiving dinner on, in Avalon was more Jewish. Than oh, the I was going to say that. I think so. Right. Although oh, supreme overacting by Lou Jacoby. Oh, There's yeah. the turkey. There's the turkey. <laughs> and, and, and of course, I, I think the, the patriarch of the family, the not the old Jew comes in, but the guy, the, our, I forgot what his name is. He's a German actor, right? You know, you know he, he the, another coach appropriation. His, his grandfather, his, he himself or his father was probably part of the uh, Hitler youth. <laughs> Yeah, here he was. He played a lot of Jews. He played a lot of Jews over the years. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, the point is, you're right. I, I I agree with you. 
Jews invested themselves more in Thanksgiving uh, in many ways than they did in Hanukkah, and especially the ones that came here. We could talk about that perhaps that maybe this year uh, Hanukkah won't be one of these huge Macy balloons in the sense. It's It'll a, be what it's supposed to be, a little more bigger general. than life. It could be a nice little idea. The bench, what is it? The mensch on the bench. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's retire him. Take care, my friends. We'll see you again. Right. Be well. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.